podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. We are live in studio. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, you can give us a call right now at 844-942-7866. We are taking all of your career and job search questions. So if you are contemplating being part of the great reshuffle or maybe you're already in the job search and want some great advice on your process, give us a call 844-942-7866. Of course, Dion Dana here making the show very fun as always. And we've got a great guest as well. But before we jump into that, what is going on in the news? Well, 40% of college students and recent grads prefer bully in-person work, according to a new poll by Generation Lab, a polling and research firm that tracks trends affecting youth. Another 39% want a hybrid workplace and 19% want to work remotely. And why is this news? Because it's very different from the numbers across the workforce as a whole, where just 12% of office workers want to go back full-time per a recent Slack survey. So when asked what they will miss in their remote future, 74% of young people say the office community, 41% say mentoring, and 45% of respondents say they're worried about having access to a distraction-free workplace because they are likelier to live in close quarters with roommates or parents. Jeff Arnett, a psychologist who coined the term emerging adults for 18 to 29 year olds, said they're missing the socialization and chance to make the contacts and relationships you make in the workplace that lead to other things. So what's your thoughts? Are you somebody who is wanting to go back to the office? If so, let us know why. Or maybe you are thinking, uh, nope, you can make these connections anyway. Don't need to be in person. Let us know. 844-942-7866. And we are going to dive in um, and talk about today's topic, which is negotiating. We've not talked about this in a while, so I'm very excited to speak about this topic because it is a fun one and one that there's lots of tips that can help you in this process. So our guest today, Victoria Medbeck, is the author of Negotiate Without Fear, Strategies and Tools to Maximize Your Outcomes. She is also Professor of Management and Organizations at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Education excuse me, for executive women at the Kellogg School and CEO of Medvec and Associates, a consulting firm focused on high stakes negotiations and strategic decisions. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Thank you so much, Dr. Don. It is a delight to be with you and with your audience. Thank you for inviting me. Well, this is a very fun topic um, to talk about. First off, congratulations on your book. That's a huge achievement um, and very excited that, that we get to talk about that. But tell us, who who is the audience for your book? Who Who is the target that you are looking to help with this book? 
So, you know, I think that's a, a an interesting point, which is negotiate without fear might suggest that the book is really for people who are novice negotiators. But I have found in my work with lots of companies and with CEOs and senior executives that fear impedes everyone in negotiation, expert negotiators down to novice negotiators, that fear really impedes people going into a negotiation, whether they fear losing the deal or they fear really offending the other side or they're afraid of the conflict or they're afraid the other side will walk away. I think fear impedes all of us when we negotiate. And so I wanted to provide strategies that would help people in all kinds of negotiations. The book includes a lot of examples about negotiating with customers, negotiating with suppliers, negotiating joint venture partnerships. It also includes a lot of examples for negotiating in your everyday life, whether you're buying a car or buying a house. But importantly, and on topic for you, Dr. Don, there's a section in every single chapter that has content in it that relates to how do I negotiate for myself? So this is all about negotiating in your career. And the reason I put that section in every chapter is I do believe that fear impedes us when we're negotiating in all types of situations. But I believe that people are particularly afraid when it comes to negotiating for themselves. And I think that's because, number one, the stakes are high. Number two, the relationship matters a great deal. And number three, people are worried that they will offend the other side in that situation and damage that relationship or perhaps put themselves in a position that they don't like. And so I think there's a lot of fear surrounding the situation of negotiating for yourself. So that's why in every single chapter there's a section on or sometimes even more than one section on how to apply the concepts and strategies to negotiating for yourself in your career. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm putting my psychologist hat on for a second because fear is something that we are so good at rationalizing away because we can come up with great, great thoughts of, well, you know, it didn't really make sense to risk that or, you know, I insert excuse here. And I think that is what usually impedes people is it's is they don't maybe define it as fear vicky but they define it as something rational that makes sense to them that causes them to avoid the negotiation so so i i'm, I'm excited we're talking about this topic today and hey if you've got a question or maybe you're in a negotiating situation in the job search vying for a promotion or maybe you're negotiating something like buying a house who knows 844-942-7866 pretty much everything in life is a negotiation when you think about it so you want great tips we are here live if it's Thursday noon Eastern on Sirius XM at channel 132. And we're taking your calls all hour, 844-942-7866. So how do you define fear, Vicki? So, Don, I think it's great that you said, you know, that fear might not even be acknowledged as fear. But instead, what people think is, I don't think I should ask. I think I should wait. I think I should see what they have to say. I think it might offend them. All of that I would define as fear because people are worried about the outcome and don't feel like they can take control of the situation and ask for themselves. And I want to make people comfortable asking for themselves in all types of situations. Certainly when they're going into a new role, um, when they're in a company and they're trying to move up in that company, and even when they're leaving, you know, people often will leave not necessarily by their own choice. 
And I would argue it's an opportunity to negotiate on your way in, up, and out of an organization. And really important to think about using the right strategies so that I can both maximize my outcomes, but also build and maintain the relationship with the other side. Because those relationships with employers are so critical. I don't want to negotiate in a poor way. I don't want to use the wrong strategy. I don't want to go in and talk about just one issue, like what's my salary going to be. I want to have the right discussion using the right strategies so that I can build that relationship and maximize my outcome. Yeah, I mean, all of these things matter. The timing matters, the you know, the the place in in the conversation. And so I think that that's what gets a lot of people scared because there's there's so many factors to consider. And when we're talking about the job search, I agree, relationship is critical because you want to go into the organization if you're negotiating a salary on a positive note and you don't want to look like um, you know, a pain, but there's such a small window during during that time of when you get the offer and when you accept that you have the leverage. And I always encourage job seekers to use that leverage because you've been chosen. And I think a common fear, Vicki, is that they'll rescind the offer if you you ask for something. So I my very first job, I, I thought I was doing a great job and I negotiated for tuition reimbursement because I knew I was going to be going to graduate school. And I thought, well, they did offer tuition reimbursement, but not till after a year. So I negotiated it to start upon my start date, which I was so proud of myself. But then, you know, a couple of months in, I found out that other people at my level had gotten sign-on bonuses. And I was like, wait, I didn't get a sign-on bonus. And, you know, of course, when you when you pursue, why didn't I get a sign-on bonus? The answer is because you didn't ask. So after that, it was really an expensive lesson. And I know, I know, especially if you're in a job search, it can be so enticing to just accept that job on the spot and be done with it and feel like, ah, I don't have to interview anymore. I don't have to, to have these conversations and prepare and get dressed up and be nervous. But, but do give yourself that that little bit of time, whether um, it's a few days or a week, totally acceptable to say, thank you, I'm excited about moving forward, and um, when do you need my response? And then take a few days, talk to a spouse, a colleague, um, a coach, and find out if there's something you're missing or there's something that you want. Could be a start date, could be a sign-on bonus, it could be higher salary, it could be um, a lot of different things in this environment. Maybe it's it's a hybrid work schedule. So, so do take that time for yourself because it's the one time you have leverage and the, I know the employer really wants you to accept and get started, but you really want to take a thoughtful look at this because once you start, most things are going to be hard to negotiate. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Sirius XM Channel 132. We are live in studio if it's Thursday noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. You can give us a call on any and all job search and career questions, 844-942-7866. And we are talking right now about negotiating with Vicki Medvek and we're talking about the strategies in her new book, Negotiate Without Fear, Strategies and Tools to Maximize Your Outcomes. So, Vicki, tell us tell us what we need to do to make sure we preserve that relationship while also making sure we advocate for ourselves. Great question. So, one of the things I would say, Zon, is that regardless of whether I'm negotiating on my way into an organization or up through that organization, 
I want to begin by ensuring that I'm putting the right issues on the table. And what I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of people call me and they'll say, how do I negotiate my salary? And what I always tell people is it's never a salary negotiation. It's always an employment engagement discussion. I'm going to talk about a variety of issues. I'm not going to only talk about my salary. And so I always encourage people to begin by making a list of what are they trying to achieve in this negotiation. Well, in a job situation, the first objective is to address the other side's pressing business needs. And when I think about the other side, I want to think about the company, and I also want to think about my future boss and maybe the person that I'm negotiating with who could be a recruiter for that company and not necessarily directly my manager. So I want to think about their needs. The second thing I want to do, though, is I want to be really, really focused on differentiating myself. And I think that this is something that doesn't get enough attention. It's really important to differentiate yourself in an interview, but it's extremely important to differentiate yourself when you're negotiating for yourself. Because if you don't differentiate yourself, you don't provide an ability for that company to do more for you than they have to do for everyone else because they're worried about violating precedent um, or establishing precedent. So you want to make certain that you're always focused on differentiating yourself and thinking about how your differentiators will address the other side's pressing business needs. So you want to kind of connect those two ideas together and put issues on the table that draw attention to your differentiators. So in addition to negotiating salary, in addition to negotiating your bonus and your start date, you might negotiate something that really is that really focuses on one of your differentiators. So perhaps you have a differentiator that you are fluent in Spanish. There's an example in the book of a woman who works at a company in Boston that is struggling for revenue. They want to build out a Latin American business unit, but they don't have a lot of people in the office who are very familiar with Latin America or who speak Spanish. And this woman happens to speak Spanish. She spent nine years living in Latin America in a variety of cities there. And she also used to be in sales, although now she's in marketing in the company. And so a part of what she would put on the table might be some briefing sessions with senior executives to pick and select the Latin American cities that might be the best targets for expanding the business. Another thing she might put on the table is the ability to interview potential candidates to work on the ground there because she's fluent in Spanish and most of the people in her Boston office are not. Or another thing she might put on the table is doing lunch and learns on the culture of doing business in South America so that not only the senior executive, but maybe the sales team becomes familiar with the cultural norms and how to do business best in South America. Those would be examples of things she would negotiate in addition to negotiating her salary. But another thing she might put on the table is something I recommend all the time, Don, which is I am a big fan when you go in and ask for yourself of putting three offers on the table rather than one. Um, we call those multiple equivalent simultaneous offers. The name isn't important, but the concept is I'm giving you three options. I'm relatively indifferent between them, but I know they look different to you. They're very different in how they look to you and what you might value. And so in one of those three options, in every job situation that I advise people in, I encourage them to put a bet in one of them on how your differentiator will address a need the company has. 
So in my example of the woman who's working in Boston for a company that's expanding into Latin America, she wants to be the vice president of that Latin American practice. She's going to put a bet in one of her options on generating $5 million in revenue within the first year in Latin America. That's an example of um, highlighting how your differentiator can address their need, but being willing to actually put your money where your mouth is and bet on that. Now, the reality is you and I both know from advising lots of people on negotiations, it's very unlikely the company is going to take that option. That option is out there to show how you are committed to achieving the company's goals. But the reality is by putting that option in as one of your three alternatives, you make your other two options look more reasonable because your other two options might have a slightly higher base than that third option does, but the total amount of your compensation would be less in those first two options compared to the third where you're getting this contingency on performance. So so it makes you create a contrast effect, but also highlight your confidence in what you can deliver. And that's something I encourage all the time in job negotiations. No, I totally love that strategy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna boil it down because I know a lot of people are listening, or maybe in their cars thinking, "Wait, wait, slow down." Um, <laughs> this, this seems to to resonate, but I but I want to capture the key point, and the key point is, or there, there's a couple, um, that you need to show the value when you negotiate of of why you your unique selling points or why you bring value that that. Um, you know, equates to what you're asking for. And I, I totally agree with that. Uh, second, you're talking about offering three options or being flexible because, again, that shows commitment to, I want this to work out. Let's look at this as a partnership. And and I really do like that approach. I talk about that in my book as well, is assume positive intent. Don't assume that you're on two different sides. You both want the same thing in the end, to start the job excited and motivated. And yes, you might need facts and figures and evidence, but you don't have to come out guns blazing. So a great strategy for that is, is coming up with those different options. Um, and then, you know, just the fact of of negotiating in the first place. And I like what you said earlier about that it's easier to negotiate for other people. And I think that comes back to that fear word, again, putting my psychologist hat on. A lot of us struggle with our, you know, especially women with our self-worth and, um, and you know, these these lifelong things that have, have uh, gotten ingrained in us in, since our childhood and things of that nature. So so I think when you think about negotiating for someone else, someone you, you love, then it all of a sudden becomes easier because you, you, we can, of course, easily see the value and, and all the things you love about other people, but sometimes it gets hard to do that for ourselves. So I love these tips and I want to make sure recapture them for the people who are out there saying um, all these sound great let me just make sure I got them 844-942-7866 we are Sirius XM Dr. Dawn on Careers I'm your host you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Dawn Graham we are here with Vicki Medbeck who has just written a new book Negotiate Without Fear so if you have a negotiation coming up in the workplace, or maybe you're negotiating for a job, today is the day to call if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 844-942-7866. So Vicki, a lot of things have changed over the past year and a half because of the pandemic. And I know people are kind of tired of talking about the pandemic, but but I, I think, you know, some of the questions that people are asking me are, you know, are people still able to negotiate? Are people still giving sign-on bonuses? Um, you know, I, I don't want to go back to the office. How do I negotiate a hybrid or 
or remote working situation. So there's a lot to negotiate right now. What what are your your um, what are your tips for individuals who are struggling with some of these things? So I do believe right now is actually a great time to negotiate. As you and I both know, there is a shortage of talent and sort of a war for talent right now. So I believe that you can negotiate within your existing company, or I think that you could negotiate with a new employer. I think that's absolutely possible at this moment in time. But you mentioned something that I wanted to go back to because you said, you know, a lot of times we are afraid to ask for ourselves. Even if we're comfortable negotiating and business, we're very comfortable negotiating with a customer, we're really comfortable negotiating with the supplier, we may be afraid to ask for ourselves. And you mentioned something that is a very key point, which is women are far more often worried about negotiating for themselves and less likely to do it than their male counterparts are. But I always think it's important when we think about the data that Linda Babcock collected that reveals that women are less likely to ask for themselves than men, that we remember her data also revealed there's a lot of men that are afraid to ask for themselves as well. And a lot of men don't negotiate for themselves, just like women don't ask for themselves. And so I do believe that at this particular moment, in as you could refer to it, the great reshuffle, it's really important to remember that there is an ability to ask for yourself, an opportunity to negotiate to get a better outcome. And that might be with your existing company as opposed to moving to a new company, or it might be with a new company. But if you are considering leaving, the one thing I would encourage you to do is to ask before you depart. I think a lot of people get frustrated in their current jobs. They might be frustrated at work and they think I'm leaving. And one of the big differences between men and women is do they ask before they leave? And I would argue it's always a good idea to negotiate before you leave. I often will advise people that leaving doesn't have an expiration date. You can leave later if you don't leave this day. You have next week you could leave instead. But before you depart, you should ask. Because when you don't, it actually tends to make your employer more frustrated. They wanted to have the opportunity to try to keep you or retain you, and they didn't get that option. So I, always, I would always say it's a good idea to ask before you leave. So whether your listeners are thinking about negotiating in their current company or with a new employer, I would highly recommend that they ask. And I think right now is a great time to be asking. Yeah, I agree that a lot of people don't give their current employer an opportunity to uh, you know, fulfill what they're looking for, whether that's making a switch internally, whether it's a promotion, a raise. And I would say that you can't expect your employer to snap their fingers and give you what you want, that you probably need some runway if you're looking right. to make a change or to get a promotion or things like that. There might have to be, there might have, uh, HR might need to be involved or a space might need to open up or a project might need to be finished. So I think, I think, um, yeah, that's a great first step. One of the reasons I think people are afraid to do that, Vicki, is because they're, they're putting their cards on the table. They feel like if their employer says, no, I'm not going to do that now, they, they know that the person is looking which in my opinion is if you're ready to leave and you're you're going to leave, if you're not going to um, be able to make the change you're looking for, then I don't think that's such a bad thing. But I know it scares people because with the past year and a half and layoffs and stuff, they're, they're thinking, well, I'm first on the chopping block now. It does. I think it does scare people. I always think a great way to start that conversation is to say that someone contacted you 
And I think this is a key thing. I am not a person who recommends that you're always getting outside offers because I always worry if you do that too often that you won't be able to get an offer when you really need one in your career. But I do believe that you should have a great network and you should know every single day where would I be if I wasn't in the role that I'm in right now? Not that I have an offer from them, but that I have a network and I have relationships with lots of people who know about my capabilities and who have an interest in me. And that makes it natural that they might be reaching out to you, contacting you. And I do believe that when you start with your existing employer, it's great to be able to highlight that someone reached out to you, that you um, were contacted by someone and you're looking at this opportunity, but that you would like to stay. I do believe that companies are not interested in trying to help if you don't express an interest in, I would like to stay, but I would like X to happen. And then again, I would say it's really important to make sure that you're focused on what are the company's needs right now and how you do your differentiators address those needs. Because this is a situation where the company gets worried about establishing precedent, that they'll have to do the same thing for everyone else. And every one of us, has something that differentiates us, something that makes us unique, different, unique capabilities, unique competencies. And I think it's important that you bring those out in that conversation. In my book, Don, you'll you'll like there's examples that are about senior executives doing this for themselves, but there's also an example of a high school student negotiating in an ice cream shop and differentiating herself. So I do believe this is true across your entire career that you can differentiate yourself but you have to think about what are those unique capabilities, competencies, skills that would help the company with some challenge they might have, some problem they might have, some need they might possess, and then to connect those in your discussion. Yeah, I, and, and for those out there who are thinking, uh, I need to go back to the office, I don't want to go back to the office, I think this is this is great advice that before just jumping ship, see if there's a way to work things out with your boss, because there's exceptions to everything we know. And um, one of the strategies that I love, I call uh, a reversible decisions. It comes out of the retail model where where you say, hey, let's try this for three months. Let's try me working um, in the office two days and home three days for three months. And if for any reason it's not working out, we can go back to the way it was before. And then um, people are much more likely to say yes when they can change their mind, which hence comes from the retail model of if there's a generous return policy you're more likely to buy because you know I can change my mind later and bring it back. But the the model also shows most people don't change their mind and bring it back. Or even if they do change their mind, they don't bring it back and they find it in their closet years from now. Oh, yeah, with the tag still on. But I think this works for managers, too, because they don't want to have a difficult conversation three months from now if it's not working out. But in most of the cases that I've seen, it has worked out and um, it gave the opportunity to try it experimentally. So that's a strategy I I love. And uh, if you're just tuning in, we are talking about negotiating. Maybe you're looking to negotiate a hybrid or totally virtual work situation as your company is calling people back to the office. Or maybe you're looking for a new job and you're looking for tips on how to negotiate that compensation offer. Today's the day to call. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, 844-942-7866. We are live in studio all hour long, but right now it's time for our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? 
Yeah, so here we go. The mobile phone number, 0888888888, was retired and no longer given to customers for this reason. Why was this phone number, 0888888888, retired and now no longer given to customers? If you think you know, give us a call at 844-942-7866. You're listening to Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. On Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Series XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School, licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. If it is Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live all hour taking your questions at 844-942-7866. And Dion, I can't believe nobody's called in for this pre-break quiz. <laughs> I will say this is this is such a Dr. Dawn pre-break quiz. That's my hint. Uh, I need you to ask the question again. All right, all right, I'll ask the question. The mobile number, 888 Triple eight, triple eight, was retired and no longer given to customers for this reason. Okay, first of all, mm-hmm. it's not enough numbers. I didn't say it was a U.S. number. It's not a U.S. number. Oh, okay. It, that that makes that's no bearing. Because you didn't have any phone number cadence, I was really confused. There's no bop, 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 bop. <laughs> yeah. Bop, bop. It's not a U.S. number. Don't let that. Don't let that throw you off. Okay, um, I'm gonna say. Because people got confused because the eights look like zeros sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to write it out. <laughs> oh, you thought it was a puzzle. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I like the angle that it was a puzzle. I'm writing it out. That's good. See, I never think of these things. No, I, I had to write it out because triple eight, triple eight, triple eight just wouldn't register. Like, I couldn't see the numbers. Cause, cause I was thinking the U.S. phone number, so I, you didn't have the cadence, so I was confused. Oh yeah, so so it wasn't given out anymore because it actually didn't have enough numbers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. Yep. Sorry, I did not mention that, but it is it is neither here nor there. But good point, um, Dana. Dana. Well, now I have no clue because I mean, I I'm like, this isn't even a working number. Like, of course, of course. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, wait, what were you going to say? What were you going to say before I said? It's not a working number. It's no longer whatever it has. It no longer is a full working number. Look, understand, when she she gave the number, I'm thinking it's a U.S. number. So I'm like, well, but there was like a KL5 number or something at some point. So what, what, what happened to that? Like I, you, I was way off. Like you, you're. This is a terrible question. All right, all right. <laughs> but, I agree. I, but I give you a big hint. It's 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 a very Doctor Dawn question, though. So something like Halloween, scary. There you go. Six years, you guys. You know me. <laughs> but I can't come up with something that's scary about the number. About eight. <laughs> Yeah. Was that like in the omen or something? The, yep. Like a number thirteen of some sort or So you guys are getting closer. You're getting closer, but I will I will tell you. Um that mobile number is no longer given out because all its users died. 
Every single person who had that what? number. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course. Of course. Of course. See, now it makes so much sense, right? The number was ish- initially owned by Vladimir Grashnov, who was the CEO of the company, the mobile provider Mobitel. He died of cancer in 2001 at age 48. Rumor was that the cancer was caused by deliberate, deliberate poisoning by maybe a competitor. Then it went to somebody in the Bulgarian mafia. <laughs> who is, <Okay. laughs> I know who is gunned down while dining in the the Netherlands, and then it wait, was, wait, 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 wait. Should the phone number for somebody in the Bulgarian mafia be like public knowledge? Well, it was after the fact. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not in use anymore, so it's like you can't. I mean, you can call it, but it doesn't go anywhere. And then the next person to own it, who was reportedly. Uh, running a massive cocaine trafficking operation. They which, knew each other. Was shot to death. It's possible. <laughs> um, but now the number is out of order and it's routed to a standard message that says uh, no outside coverage. And that's the deal with the number. But oh, they've got to have a better message than that. You you dialed you dialed a number that's that's killed three people. Well, I, and the Mobitel does not want to. They don't want to take responsibility for that. And in all fairness, like let's face it, the people who got the number were destined. <laughs> anyway, I mean, like you know, occupational hazard. It really is. No one no one has a long career in cocaine trafficking. It's it, there's there's no tenure at ten years. You get your you know gold watch. It don't work that way. There's, there's no pension. <laughs> there's no pension. You know, uh, so it just I feel like I feel like Movitel is not at fault here because it just was sort of bad luck. But I still think it's good they took it out of circulation. You know, that's that's that. <laughs> anywho, anywho, that was our pre-break quiz. I, Dion, I know some people tune into the show just for the pre-break quiz. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. <laughs> oh, anyway, 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are live if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, taking all of your job search and career questions at 844-942-7866. We're very excited to have the Medvec with us, who is an expert on negotiations, and we're talking about tips from her new book, Negotiate Without Fear, Strategies and Tools to Maximize Your Outcomes. Vicki, where can people find you and learn more about your book? They can absolutely find me at my website, which is uh, medvecanassociates.com, or they can email me at victoriamedvec at medvecanassociates.com. I would be delighted to hear from your listeners. I wanted to mention the strategy that you were discussing, the reversible decision. I talk about that in my book. Um, I refer to it as a trigger strategy but I think you were on to something really clever there, which is a great way to get an employer to try something is to say, let's try it for three months. And if it doesn't work, then we can always go back. Because as you mentioned, Don, it creates a status quo of this new thing that you wanted to happen. And you and I both know as being psychologists that that status quo is really sticky and it's the most likely future remaining point. So you create that status quo and it's very likely to stick and it allows you to get the trial of something you would like to have happen in the company. So, you know, let's try me working from home two days a week because I know we have a lot of 
people who call in early in the morning and I can pick up those calls because I won't be commuting at that time. Or let's try me working from home three days a week so that I can have closer proximity to the customer. And if it's not working, we can always go back to me being in the office five days. I think that that trigger, or as you call it, reversible decision, is a great approach for asking. Yeah, and I would encourage everybody to try it not just for not just for working from home, but it works for a lot of different situations. Maybe you want to get a promotion, so ask to take the lead on a project for three months. There's there's so many ways it can be used to to really open up the door to try things. So I I'm glad you brought that back up because for for those who may have missed it, it's definitely a great strategy for negotiation. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Serious. XM 132 and Dana I think we have a mailbag you've got mail yes Cindy in Illinois emailed dear Dr. Don I'm currently in a job search and starting to get interviews in the initial conversation I'm usually asked what I'm looking to earn since I've been with one company for nearly 12 years I believe I'm being paid under market rate and I'm also changing industries so I'm not as familiar with salary ranges in this new field While I've looked at a few online compensation platforms, the ranges seem to be all over the place. How can I determine my true worth in the current market? Awesome. Thank you so much, Dana. And this is a great question. And one that I get a lot is, is, I'm I'm psyched. I want to negotiate. But I have no idea what what, um, I'm worth in this industry or in the current market or with my unique skill set. So, Vicki, what is your suggestion for um, for Cindy and others who are thinking, okay, I want to take this advice and I want to negotiate, but I really have no idea what my market value is? And one of the things that is important to remember in that situation is that Cindy is still in the interview. So Cindy is in the interview. And remember, we don't negotiate until we get the offer of employment. But Cindy's facing a challenge because she's in that interview. And her answer may actually determine whether she gets an offer or not. Because as you and I both know, a lot of recruiters are compensated based on their success rate of, re- of getting people to accept an offer. And so they use those questions to try to evaluate, should I make an offer to this person? Or are they going to be out of our zone and not accept the job because then I don't want to make the offer? So I think it's a very key question that Cindy's asking. And I think she has to be careful with how she responds in the interview. So I want to talk about what I would do in the interview and then what I would do after she gets the offer because I'm confident Cindy will get that offer. Can I can I just interrupt for a second, Uh Vicki? A lot of people are asked this question in the very first phone screen, which I know. In my opinion, companies should post the the range and like let's be done with all of this this nonsense. But since we're not quite there yet, and you know, with the exception I think of Colorado, um, I want to I want to back up because I think you're absolutely 100 percent right. The negotiation doesn't start till you get the offer, um, but there's a lot of information you can be collecting along the way. But but I want to. I know listeners are are always asking for what. How do I respond in that initial phone screen because what I say can just get me out of the running altogether. I may never have the opportunity to get to that final negotiation. It absolutely can. And, you know, some some places ask the question as, what is your current salary? And some states have actually made that question one that isn't, on, isn't inbounds to ask because it does create this challenge. Um, but if you're asked that question in an in interview screening, I think it's important to first 
try to focus on what else is interesting about the job beyond just the pay. And I would say I'm looking for a lot of things in this role outside of compensation. One thing that's really interesting to me about the role is the ability to control some P&L or the ability to lead big projects like this or the ability to work with a big range of people. I found that I have great skills working with a wide range of people. So I think the first thing you would like to do is to highlight what else is important to you besides just the salary. But often they will pursue that line of questioning and they might say, but what is your salary expectation? If you are currently in a role that is making more than what that new job might be in the range for, um, so let's imagine that right now you're working in investment banking and the company that you're looking at is a job that is very different and has a lower salary band, um, then you might say something like, well, I'm currently making um, between X and Y on an annual basis, but I recognize that in this new role, I will sacrifice some of that income, but I'm really interested in this, this, and this about the new role. If, on the other hand, you're in a situation like Cindy is, where she's making less than what she wants to make in this new job, which is a far more common situation, um, then I think you can do two things. Number one, you want to highlight that it's not just about pay. And number two, you want to provide a range of what you think is um, what you've heard that roles like that are typically compensated at, and that that would be um, that would be in the range for you. But again, it's not only about the money, but about all of these other great things about the role. I think a key piece of advice here is that you have to signal interest. You want to signal intent to accept it if offered. You want to signal that you're very excited about the role. Because if any of those pieces don't come across, that you're excited, that you're interested, then you're less likely to get the offer. Then you get the offer. So let's imagine Cindy now gets the offer through this interview process. She is now given an actual offer. They want to hire her. Now I think she's in a different position to go in and do a negotiation on that. And in that situation, you know, one of the challenges will be that the number she gave them in the interview screening will be an anchoring point. And so I think that that's why when you're coming up with that number, you have to be thoughtful. And I always use a range. But in using the range, remember that the lower number you're asking for is actually what you're really asking for, not the higher number. But that range makes you look more flexible and cooperative. So I would use a range, but I would remember that that range will probably rear its head again after you get the offer and now you're trying to negotiate it because they might remind you of that range of what you provided. So you want to be thoughtful in answering the question in the interview. You don't want to take yourself out, but you also want to be really thoughtful that it will rear itself again in the negotiation. In the negotiation itself, though, one of the things I would say is it's important to think about the market for sure and what rules like this typically pay, but it's also important when you're setting your goal for the negotiation to think about the weaknesses of the other side's alternatives. So if I'm Cindy and I'm going to a new company, the company may have lots of strong options, lots of other people that they might hire. But if Cindy were negotiating with her current employer and she was very essential, she had a great amount of client relationships, clients really liked her, it would be hard to switch from her. Her boss would have to take on a lot of responsibility if she left. 
then I think Cindy could be more aggressive negotiating with her own employer because the company's options might be weaker. So I always say that your goal for the negotiation should be based on the weakness of the other side's alternatives, what we would refer to as the weakness of their best outside option or their BATNA is a frequent negotiation term, but it's the weakness of what would they do if they didn't hire you? Clearly, when I'm hiring a bunch of people, I don't have a lot of weakness. When I am needing you because of your unique skills and your unique capability, I can be much more ambitious in setting the goal in that negotiation because the employer needs me in particular. So I do think that's key to consider in the negotiation. But first, Cindy needs to get the offer. Yeah, absolutely. 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM Channel 132 Business Radio. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we're live here on Dr. Dawn on Careers, taking all of your career and job search questions. And today we've been focusing on a very fun but maybe a little anxiety-provoking topic called negotiating, um, which is something that I think we all need to improve our skills on because it is it is certainly a way of life not just in your job and career, but in lots of places in the world. And we've been talking with Victoria Medvek, who is the author of the new book, Negotiate Without Fear, Strategies and Tools to Maximize Your Outcomes. And and one more time, Vicki, where can people purchase your book and learn more about what you are doing in the negotiating area? Yes. So my book is for purchase on Amazon, and it's also for purchase at Barnes & Noble and other major book outlets. And they are, I would be happy to have them visit my website, um, medbeckandassociates.com, or reach out to me at Victoria Medbeck at medbeckandassociates.com. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on your book, Vicki. I know it's going to help a lot of people. We've really enjoyed having you on the show today. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you and to think about this really key area of. How do you negotiate for yourself? How to ask for yourself and be effective in building the relationship while you're getting what you want? I think it's such a key topic, and I know you give advice to people all the time about this, Don. So I really appreciate the advice you provide. Thank you so much, Vicki, and best of luck to you with your book. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM Channel 132. We're taking your calls all hour at 844-942-7866. So whether you're talking about negotiating or anything else in the job search, it is a wild, wild world out there. So you can always give us a call every Thursday noon Eastern at 844-942-7866. And we've we were um, right before this. We were talking about Cindy's question, and I want to I want to tag on a couple more things that might be helpful. If you're looking to find what your market value is, there's a number of websites that are free that you can look at, like PayScale, Glassdoor, Salary.com. Um, but what I would say is a lot of these are self-reporting, so you have to take them with a grain of salt. So my recommendation would be look at a number of them in your industry and the function and the level that you're going to be at and look at the ranges because you'll find that they're 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 a little bit all over the place but you can probably find themes and patterns another great thing that people don't often do is check in with their network now that doesn't mean you have to go around asking people so what do you make at the company of course that that probably would not be something that would be um be something that someone would want to share with you of course but but 
you can say, you know, I'm I'm interviewing for a director level at your company. Do you have any ideas about what the director level salary range might be? And people will probably, if they work there, have some ideas for you. So don't overlook talking to your network to find out some of those ranges. Combine that with what you learn online and um that will give you a general idea. But to the points we talked about before, I know this is a question that's often asked in the phone screen and a lot of people are nervous to answer it. So another strategy might be for Cindy when when this comes up is to just ask them the same question right back. Well, um, what's the range for the role? This won't always work, but sometimes it does work. Sometimes they'll say, well, the range for the role is X and between X and X. And then you have that information. So you could say, yes, it's in my ballpark or um, actually, uh, you know, that's a little bit lower than what I was expecting. Is there any flexibility? So this way, you're not the one giving the numbers. So there's a lot of different ways you can handle this, but I know it is anxiety provoking and stressful and there's no perfect resource out there, but some of these things might help you. And just to wrap up a couple of final things in terms of negotiating that we talked about today, First off, assume positive intent. Assume that your manager or hiring manager wants to have you come on board excited and happy. So don't go in guns blazing. I think that's a really important one. Um, Second, make sure your timing is right. Make sure you're not negotiating to get the actual offer. Timing can make all the difference. If you're a little bit nervous about negotiating, pretend you're negotiating for someone that you love, a a best friend, your mom, because it's going to disengage you from that, that, you know, I'm talking about me and my personal worth. So that's a big one. And of course, the biggest one is always negotiate, always sleep on it, always when you get that offer, say, thank you, I'm so excited, I can hit the ground running. How, um, how long before you need my response? Of course, they're going to say we need it today, but give yourself a few days. Do yourself that favor. You worked really hard to get to this point, and you want to make sure that you get what you deserve. So that's our that's the wrap for our negotiating tips. Thank you, Dana Dion. You guys make this show so much fun. Of course, our listeners and our guest, Vicki Medvek. We've enjoyed being with you today here on SiriusXM 132. We'll see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.